if I were to boil down exercise to the simplest possible thing, and and in many ways, this is an oversimplification, but in many ways, this is the most useful framing that you guys may ever take around exercise. There's so many things that we could potentially be thinking about in the gym, right? There's so many potential points of concentration or points of focus, but not all of them, as you could imagine, would be as useful as the rest, right? There's probably some hierarchy of like, hey, this is these are the most important things to think about. And there's a whole bunch of other things that fall secondary to that. And even the things that are at the top of the hierarchy may be different person to person based on what you see as physical limitations, what you're experiencing as roadblocks in the gym, right? There's two things that I think everyone should prioritize as far as the thought process above everything else. And I've never said this to you guys before. You guys have maybe heard me say at some point that it's important to remember that every muscle has two ends. You guys remember me saying that? So if you think of it like an elastic band, I had an elastic band around here somewhere, but now I've moved it. So I can't just use this. Say this is my elastic band. Not a very good color. I had a pink one around, but it's done. So this is my elastic band. And if if one end pulls, the other end kind of wants to move closer to it, right? And so, but if the, the so let's say this end is is what's called the origin, which is always closer to the midline of the body, right? So we remember the origin is always closer to the midline of the body. The insertion is always further away, and it always goes as the insertion pulls closer to the origin. That's it, right? So we remember that. That's an important thing to know. So when we're exercising, instead of placing our focus on something outside of ourselves, here's what I want you guys to focus on. One single point. There's only one single point of focus inside the body when you're training. Single point. Not even both ends of the muscle. Right, you don't have to worry about both ends of the muscle. You have to worry about a single point. What point? The insertion point, which is this end of the muscle that happens to lay distally to this to the midline, which is further away from the midline. Right. So if I just focus on the insertion in any muscle, and I think about how can I take this thing closer to the midline, closer to the origin, right? So closer to the other end of my muscle. And I just focus on the minute motion that's happening at this insertion. I'm going to be more effective in the gym. Okay. So that's point one. I'll go into a little more nuance. And point two is an overlap. Point two, which is a little more complicated, takes a little more thought. You guys may have some questions on this one is the direction of applied force. Okay. So the, the direction of applied force and the movement of the insertion. If you guys think about nothing else, just think about these, those two points. So if I think about the direction of applied force, well, if it's a dumbbell or a barbell, what's the direction of applied force? It's always the same. What is it? Now, if it's a cable, what's the direction of applied force? Literally the direction of the cable, right? If I have a machine, it's not always as easy to see, but it's the travel of the arc of the machine, right? And machines always move in an arc for the most part. Um, so I want to be able to see these things. I want to be able to see the 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 um, overlap of the direction of applied force relative to the path of travel of this insertion point. That's it. Now, I know that doesn't sound so exciting, but when you guys start to understand, if I just look at, well, what path does this insertion take? So let's think of it, the easiest example because it's visual, right? So the, the insertion point of my pack is here. The origin is here. But look, this insertion point, which is a single point, can move here. It can move here. It can also move here, right? And obviously an infinite number of paths in the middle. 
But all I'm thinking about when I'm training is, well, which direction do I want this path to go? Do I want to go upper peck? Do I want to go mid peck? Do I want to go lower peck? But I'm not focused on this end of the muscle. I'm not focused on this arm. I'm literally focused on this point, right? So if I think about my delt, my delt is a single point there. So if I want to train, actually, let's do this arm because it seems like a better light. So that's my delt. So if I want to train this part of my delt, the front delt, I think about taking this single point here, right? So it's literally a straight line between those two points. Not easy to visually see, but I want you guys to think about this. So lat training, right? Now let's take that all and extrapolate that to lat training. If I were just to identify, well, where's the insertion point of a lat? We talked about this last week. It's here. It's on the front of the body. And if I, if I simply think about that single point of the body and I go, well, how do I make this as far away from the other point as possible? It's probably like stretching up here somewhere, right? So I'm creating as much distance as I can between those two points. And then I go, okay, well, how do I create as much tension between those two points as possible? Right? So as you guys evolve in your thought process or an exercise, the simplest thing you can do is identify the insertion point, identify its path of motion, and then line up the applied force directly in, in, in that path. Does that make sense? So if I want to train this, this lat, and I know I want to stretch it like way out there, well, then I literally want the, the resistance to be in that plane, right? So I'm looking at where does this thing move? So if I think about this pec, right? So if I want to, if I want the pec to move here, upper pec, well, then I want the path of motion to be there because the insertion is literally moving here. Well, I need the resistance to be also in that plane, right? I need the resistance to be in that plane. If I want it to be this way, I need the resistance to be in that plane. That's not very easy to see in this video, uh, but do you guys, do you guys get that conceptually? So any time, any divergence you have relative to the the direction of applied force. Relative to the insertion, the path of motion of the insertion, any divergence, meaning if the, if the insertion is moving between these two points and my, and my line of force is say, let's going up like that, that's a divergence. You're going to have loss of, of opportunity, loss of force transfer. Does that start to make sense? So the big, one of the biggest mistakes I see people making is they're focusing on everything outside of their body. And the, the point of today's call is to encourage you all to bring the focus inside your body and focus on simply feeling, well, what is this insertion doing? Is this insertion moving away from the midline? Is it moving closer to the midline? Further away? Closer. So let's think of the biceps, for example, right? Everybody find the insertion point of your bicep. There's one point. It's actually two, but let's, let's say one. So let's say it's here, right? All this does is pull closer to here, right? Flex. That's it. Pulls closer to the midline. Right. The ones that are maybe a little less obvious would be like the tricep. So even though it's here, right, technically here. So it's going to go pulls up. It's pulling this direction. Right. So it's pulling toward the shoulder. And so when you guys are contracting, think about pulling up, up toward the shoulder, not just extending my arm. I'm thinking about how can I pull this tricep up the back of my arm? Right. So I know this is, um, I don't know, simple. But maybe the most highly effective tip you guys get across the board for maximizing your progress, because the reason most people fail in my observation, or many people fail in my observation, is because their cognitive focus exists outside of their body and not inside of their body. And from my experience, this is the most effective cognitive framing that we can apply to bring your attention inside of your body.
Guys with me? So now, if, if I were to say, guys, think about the direction of applied force of an exercise. So let's think of the direction of applied force of a side lateral dumbbell raise. What's the direction of applied force? The dumbbell can only exert force in one direction, straight down, right? It changes throughout the rep relative to the distance, but it's always straight down, meaning it changes like the distance relative to the shoulder joint changes. But the direction of applied force is always straight down. So I want this insertion then to be in alignment with that direction of applied force, meaning if, if the path of motion is here out at the 45 degree, I want the insertion point to be in direct alignment with that, right? So I wouldn't, if I wanted to train like the front of my delta, I would externally rotate and line up that part of the insertion, right? So I just want you guys to start thinking differently about exercise. So instead of focusing on how much weight is in my hand, how far it's moving, how many reps I've done, which is ultimately not directly correlated with your outcome that you're trying to achieve, which is challenging muscles, right? So what we want to focus on is how can I make this muscle work more effectively and have a direct line of force application. So no matter what exercise you do, one end always stays stable and the other end always moves. So in the case of the glute, if I were doing like a, I don't know, like a glute kickback, right? So my upper body's stable and I'm moving my legs, then the upper end of the glute stays stable and the bottom end moves. Whereas if I do a deadlift, it's the opposite. So the bottom end of the glute stays stable and the top end moves, right? But either way, there's one end that's moving and one end that's stable. Same thing with the abdominals. It's an exact parallel, right? So one end has to be stabilized and one end moves toward it. So if you're doing an abdominal sit-up or crunch, the pelvis end is anchored and the upper end moves toward it, right? Whereas the, or versus the opposite, the, the shoulders and, and ribcage stay braced and the lower end moves toward it. Does that make sense? Does that feel like a helpful framing for you guys? So even though right now, maybe like, man, this feels kind of like simplistic, when you start going in the gym and you start to see the value in bringing your attention inside of your body and doing everything you possibly can to increase this size of the, the size of this range and apply tension. So meaning if I can stretch it further, further apart, I will. And if I can generate tension through the entire range, I will. So it brings your focus into tension and distance, which are very, very important, right? So remember this statement. The insertion is always further away from the midline. The origin is always closer to the midline. So the insertion in, in this case, if you looked at both ends of the muscles and you go, okay, well, my I have one end of a delt that's up here, like kind of on the shoulder, and then I get one end that's down here, right? So like that convergence point where all three heads kind of come down and converge, actually seven heads, but all the heads kind of come down and converge on the, on the humerus there. That's your insertion point. Right. So, and here's the thing. Everyone's different. So my insertion point happens to be pretty lateral. I've met people who have an insertion point that's on the front. So you guys got to want to actually find your insertion point and then align that up with the muscle you're trying to train. So if I want to train my lateral head of my delt, I want to make sure the muscle fibers that uh, act as the lateral head of the delt are lined up in a straight line with the line of applied force. Does that make sense? If you guys have any weak body parts, any of them, I can say this 100% certainty. You are guaranteed to be weak in the short position and you're guaranteed to be weak in the lengthened position. So if you want to improve a weak body part, guess what you should do? Get strong in the short position, get strong in the lengthened position, right? How do you become strong in those positions? Time, but well, actually, but first, even before time, specificity, like really, really laser focused contractions. Do it really, really, really specifically. And then, spend more time in those positions. 
before load ever matters, right? So getting strong at the extremes, there's value in getting strong in the middle of the range for sure. But the middle of the range is the one typically the place where everyone just gets stronger anyways, right? If you want to get stronger uh, overall and prevent injuries, get strong at the extremes of the range. And so can you get bigger by only training the middle of the range? Yes. No question. Yes. But what will happen is you will always, almost always get injured or lose your mobility. Your body will become tighter because when, when you get strong in one place and you're weak somewhere else, there becomes a, a gradient or a disparity between points of strength and points of weakness. And the bigger the gap between the positions of strength and the positions of weakness, the more the body will tighten up to protect it. You see a lot of these guys who are really big muscle bound dudes, maybe like me one day. Who couldn't, who can't literally put on their seatbelt in the car. They literally physically can't do it, right? It's because of, not because they're, they're weak, certainly, right? But they're weak in certain positions. So literally they're too weak to lift their arm above their head. They don't have the ability to shorten the muscles of the trap and of the front end enough to get into that position. Not because they're weak in general, but because they've never trained that position, right? Use it or lose it. If you don't go there, the body doesn't use it. The body loses it. So you guys always want to be aware of like accessing positions of weakness always. So you guys have seen me write a lot about positions of weakness. It just means like, where are you weak? Find them and go after them, right? So why would anyone have a weak body part? So Mats is a strong guy. He gets in the gym, he gets under a couple of plates and he'll squat. And so what, what happens if he's able to move a, a significant or substantial amount of weight, why would, it, why would a single body part not develop? I want to walk you guys through this as far as the thought process. So I talked about this like either last week or two weeks ago. If I threw a hundred pound dumbbell on the floor beside me, I would walk over to it, get up as close as I can, grab it with two hands, squat down pretty deep and lift it with as many muscles as I possibly could, right? And, and the body would go, okay, based on all of these potential muscles that could potentially contribute to me lifting this, I'm going to take this hundred pounds and I'm going to distribute it amongst as many muscles as I can preferencing the biggest muscles first. The muscles have that are the biggest and have the greatest mechanical leverage to do it, right? So now what if I did it differently? What if I walked up to it, stopped two feet away, didn't bend my knees and just hinged from the hips, still lifted the same 100 pounds, same result, right? Left it from the ground to the top, but it was a different sequence of events. Can you guys see how that would create a different muscular recruitment pattern? One would be a huge amount of quads. The other one might be hamstrings and glutes. Same movement ultimately like from the bottom to the top but just a different uh, sequence of events and a different amount of muscle being or a different uh, a group of muscles being used can everybody see that so just by changing the position and maybe the intention i changed the muscles that worked and the proportion right so if i want to if i want if mat says hey i want to get better at contracting my glutes he needs to do what? He needs to change his exercise execution, maybe vary the selection a little bit, and get better at the, the short and lengthened positions. Because if, if, if Mats builds his glutes by getting stronger in the short and the lengthened position, and then he goes back to the original format, I'm just going to walk up to this 100-pound dumbbell and I'm just going to pick it up. If his glutes have grown in the meantime, now all of a sudden his body goes, oh, these glutes are big, they're strong, they've got leverage. I can use them as a greater contributor to this exercise. So now when he goes back to doing the original squat that he did before, whereas the glutes don't work now, three months from now, they're a huge contributor to the exercise. Now they can do a lot more in the exercise. Does that make sense? 
So now he can actually get benefit from squats and deadlifts, whereas in the past he couldn't. So the best example is myself. You guys may have heard me tell the story. I was 21 years old and I was deadlifting 750 pounds for reps. I had zero glutes and zero lats. Zero. I had a pancake ass and zero lats. My erectors looked like uh, looked like airplane cables. My erectors were like this. Like I would lift huge amounts of weight with erector with my erectors. So I would like round into my back a little bit and pull with my hamstrings and my erectors. No glutes. So my hamstrings are great. My erectors were great. Pancake ass. So. And the way I knew this is I saw a photo from my, of myself backstage from a show. So I was like, the photo was taken from backstage and I was standing on stage. I was like, this is on stage. Someone took it from the side and I literally had no ass. My erector stood out this much further than my glutes. So I was like, okay, what do I need to do here? So I just changed the way that my glutes contracted, the, their ability to contribute to an exercise, right? So now the glutes were able to contribute to the exercise. Now my glutes grew exponentially really quickly, like six months they looked amazing and fantastic. Right. And so it wasn't that I didn't have the ability to build my glutes is that the way I had unconsciously trained going up to that point, I didn't need to use my glutes. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's, it's not that I didn't, wasn't able, it's not even that I didn't know how it's that I didn't think about it. I didn't care. Right. My goal at the time was I wanted to lift 750 pounds or 800 pounds or whatever I wanted to lift at the time. That was the goal I want. Cause I was told the stronger I got, the bigger I got. And is that true? Maybe, but maybe not in the proportion I'm looking for, right? So you guys got to think about that. Like all of you guys, I observe my clients and there's this unconscious tendency to, as things get hard, to kind of give up, right? You're like, yeah, I'm going to stop. I want you guys to start thinking about exercise as, well, so I'll say this differently. I want you guys to start thinking about exercise when you're fresh and exercise when you're fatigued as almost two separate skill sets. So when I'm fresh, as Jonathan's saying, man, I can fill this glute really, really well. And then so what happens when I start to fatigue should be considered a completely, almost a completely separate skill set. So what I need to focus on is as I get tired, I get better. Most people, when they get tired, they get loose, they get weak, they get lazy, they stop, they, they start using other body parts, they start swinging shit. So what you do as you start to get closer to exhaustion is a habit. You're literally creating or creating new habits. So you have to ask yourself, what habit should I be creating? Which habit do I want to be creating? In the case of Jonathan here, the answer is you need to do everything in your conscious power to make sure the glutes do as much work as they possibly can. That being said, the percentage of work they're doing in that rep may actually get less. So in the beginning, you may be using 60% of your glute. And then by the midpoint, it's 30% of your glute. And by the end, it's 10%. But you're still doing everything in your conscious power to be to be better and better and better because eventually the glute will be a greater contributor through the whole rep, right? You just don't want to get loose and get lazy. I'm just going to let whatever wants to finish it, finish it because that will be the habit. And you'll, you won't be developing the muscle you're looking to develop in, in the amounts you're looking to develop. So you really got to think of like, like and give an example, like on a hack squat, you're going a hack squat. The first 10 reps are easy, right? Your body knows what to do. When you start getting tired, your body's looking for every way in the, in, in the universe to cheat and make it easier and, and finish the reps. You can't let it do that. Can't. Otherwise, you're just inculcating shittiness. Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe Share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content. Leave us a review 
and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive muscle intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my master classes, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day, and I look forward to seeing you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.